0: (laughs) Okay, I'm back. Are you back? Are you there with us? Yes. Um, It's good to be here at Matt and Lulu's this week. Um, It's good to be in their home. I've got a few people surrounded. We've got our Bibles open. Has anyone got a journal to scribble notes in? Yes. Yes, Lulu does. Lulu often does cool artwork and things. Uh, (laughs) So guys, keep your Bibles open there at Acts chapter 2. Um, as Sally has already said, we're looking at an incredible fulfillment of a promise today for God's people, and we want to celebrate that. And we also want to dig into some, um, some tricky things. And th- the topic of the speaking in tongues comes up in this passage. And so right up front, I will say this, uh, there's so much that can be said, obviously, I can't You know, address everything. But if you've got a particular question that's raised by the passage that I don't necessarily deal with, um, yeah, type it in. Send send your question through on the in in YouTube there or on the Facebook Messenger. And towards the end of the message, I'll kind of pause and see if there's any questions that have come in, and then see if I can attempt to address the questions. We'll see how we go. Okay, cool. Let's dig in. Um, As if if you've just followed, if you just with us there as we read the Bible passage, um, you'll know that, um, oh sorry, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, here's a little bit of context. Um, Jesus has just told his, his closest, dearest believers and followers to go to Jerusalem and wait for a gift. And you Get that referred back in chapter 1 verse 4. And the gift is going to be when the Holy Spirit comes. Um, God the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit and they're to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. Um, Verse 8 in chapter 1 tells us that when it comes, um, what's going to happen for them is they're going to be empowered to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, friends, um, here comes the gift. Chapter 2 we see the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And this basically happens about a week and a half after Jesus has told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. So they've been waiting for about a week and a half. Um, In Jerusalem at this moment, Um, It's festival time. And so the Jews would have three main festivals each year. And the festival of Pentecost was one of those festivals. During this time in Jerusalem, as with most festivals, the population would swell probably from about 50,000, which it normally would have been, to about 200,000, which is a factor of how many times more. It's quadruples the, the the population, so it's a busy festive time, and and people from other nations who are Jews or converted to Judaism would all come on pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this time. So a big festival week. That's the context. Um, but what's happening is for Jesus's closest believers, which at this point in in the um, in the in the history, uh, there's about 120 believers. And we get told there in verse one, have a look at it there with me. Um, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So you've got 120 believers all together in one particular house, and then something particular happens. And verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. So suddenly a sound like a violent wind. So not an actual violent wind that just ripped the place apart, but the sound of a violent wind. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever been in a violent wind or if you've ever been in a tornado or a cyclone. I haven't, but I've seen movies about it. Basically, here's the deal. It's a deafening sound. It's a frightening sound. In fact, the sound was so loud, you find out later on in the passage that people outside the house, in the street, heard the sound and came to see what was going on. So basically, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind shakes the house. Um, that would have been pretty intimidating and pretty frightening. You get to verse 3 and even more happens. Um they saw that what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So at the same time as hearing this hectic sound, they see fire coming from above and separating and these little tongues of fire um, or little flickering fires come and sit on top of everybody who's in the room. So picture 120 people looking up at the person next to them with a fire flickering above their head after this wicked noise had just gone down. No doubt some of the believers would have been freaking out. Um, A lot of people would have been wondering what is happening here. Um, From this distance, we look back and we can see that wind and fire are just kind of typical what you call theophanies. Um, for, throughout you know biblical history, whenever God would visit and um, whenever the presence of God would come and it was a particular moment where he's going to communicate something or change something or mix things up, there was often wind and there was often fire. So th- these are classic signs that God is visiting. Um, and in fact, the, the promise that Jesus had made about the gift that was going to come, it's happening and it's happening in that moment, in that house, Um, And it would have been crazy to experience this. Um, Verse 4, it goes on and it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So as well as the sound and the fire above their heads, each of them received the Holy Spirit and with it an ability to speak in other tongues. Um, So all of a sudden they start speaking Um, you know, things that they had not previously been able to speak before. Um, Now, by the way, this event, the event that happened at Pentecost, this festival, um, is, is where the Christian denomination, you know, the Protestant Christian denomination of Pentecostals gets their name from um, is the events here. And and a a, a decent part of the major emphasis of their theology is based on this particular event. So that's that's where their name came from. Um, Now, what do we make of this event? What do we do with it? Um, There's two things um, that we're going to dig into today or two things we're going to talk about. Number one, how this event was a really unique moment in history. Um, and number two, we're going to talk about tongues for a little bit. Okay, so unique moment and tongues. First thing, unique moment in history. What, what's really worth noticing here is uh, that, that up until this point, nothing like this had really happened before. Um, this is the first time ever in history that followers of God and believers of God have actually each received the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would come and reside in them. Yeah, just think about that for a minute. This had never been the case for all believers and followers of God. Up until this point, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, had always still been the Holy Spirit, but had functioned quite differently throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Old Covenant. Up to this point, the Holy Spirit would have been present with God's people communally in different ways absolutely but not necessarily with individuals in fact the only individuals that you could say receive the Holy Spirit it, it, the Holy Spirit was received like this um, for a particular purpose temporarily a person would receive the Holy Spirit and a classic example of that would would be the Kings in the Old Testament and um, where they would be anointed with the Holy Spirit temporarily for the particular purpose of leading God's people. That's that's how the Holy Spirit chose to function in that time period of the Old Testament. But up until this point, that's what had been happening. Now this day comes and history has been awaiting this day. There's been a lot of prophecy and promise about this day. And now here it comes, where the Holy Spirit comes upon all believers. Um, if you want to look through some of the promises and the prophecies, you can go to your classic ones like Jeremiah chapter 31 or Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, Peter, when he stands up and addresses the crowd after this has happened, he chooses to go to the prophecy in Joel chapter 2 to actually explain how this moment had been promised. And and you can actually, if you just flick forward a little bit, we'll spend more time on this next week. But you can see in verse 16 there, Peter who speaks to the crowd, he says, look, um, this was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he goes and he quotes the prophet Joel. And he talks about, look, look at verse 17. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So th- this day was coming for a long time. And, and Peter sees that it's fulfillment of that day. And in that day, as the spirit comes, there's going to be prophecy and visions and dreams. And if you read down, there, there's also the sign of fire that would come. And Peter sees all, all, sees all that as, as evidence that the prophecy of Joel chapter two is being fulfilled. Um, the, a new day has come for God's people. You, you might call it the age of the spirit or the ushering in of the new age, the spirit age, or the beginning of the last days. There are a lot of phrases that are used in scripture to talk about the beginning of these days that began here at Pentecost, where the spirit gets poured out on all the people and there's fire and there's prophecy and there's, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that are going to happen. Um, so it's an exciting moment. The days finally come. Um, and the day has come because the Messiah has come and he's, he's done his work, he's lived, he's ministered, he's died, he's raised and he's ascended back to heaven. And so now the last days begin. It's a big moment in history. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. on all God's people. And it's the birth of the New Testament church. Massive change, massive change. And here's the thing we, we need to understand is that um, this day that came continues now for us. We are living in the age of the Holy Spirit. We are living in these last days because those days have continued right up until now. We live in the days where all genuine followers of God and believers in Jesus get anointed with the Holy Spirit. We're living in, fresh, we're living in special times, my friends, and it's worth reflecting on that and being grateful about that and understanding that and celebrating that because we are those who get the incredible privilege of having God live in us by His Holy Spirit. And friends, I want to kind of say that that is probably a great definition of what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit personally, permanently. That's what a Christian is. Now, I'm not sure whether that resonates for you. Is that what you think a Christian is? Um, It may be that you have another picture in your mind of what a Christian is. Because there's lots of different ideas. It might be that you think a Christian is someone who's just kind of born into a Christian household and you kind of grew up a Christian. That's what a Christian is. Or you might think a Christian is just someone who works really hard to try and be a stand-up citizen and a moral member of society. Or you might think a Christian is someone who's like really into the Bible and they carry their Bible around and they read it and they understand it and all that kind of stuff. You might think a Christian is, and here's more of an old school version, you might think a Christian is a church person. I heard that language this week, um, a discussion about whether a person is a church person or not a church person. You know? Are you a church person? It's almost like, do you belong to that club? Or do you belong to the RSL or the soccer club or the surf club or the church club? You know, What's your definition of a Christian? Because the passage we're looking at here today tells us pretty clearly that a Christian is someone who's been baptised, in the holy spirit if you've come to believe in jesus you kind of catch in ephesians chapter one that as you believe and put your trust in jesus you're baptized in the holy spirit you receive the holy spirit in full fully and forever that 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 is actually what a christian is so this is what we have to celebrate if you're someone who's come to put your trust in jesus you've got the spirit you got the Spirit in full, you got the Spirit forever, and that is actually, you can anticipate that's going to have a massive impact on your life. Um, not only does the Spirit enable you to believe that the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, the Spirit is going to actually give you everything you need for life and godliness. And this passage, particularly, the Spirit is actually going to give you courage to be a witness to Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's worth knowing. It's worth celebrating. It's worth living in. Now, there you go. A unique moment in history that begins at Pentecost and stretches right through to our day that we get to live in and we get to celebrate and we get to know about. Isn't that awesome? Now, the question might be coming up at this point, um, you know, what about tongues? Because that's kind of a, a key feature here in the passage. They receive the Holy Spirit, and this ability to speak in tongues, it says there. So let's speak about tongues for a little bit. Um, You might might hear the word speaking in tongues, and I would say there's there's mixed opinion among Christians about speaking in tongues. Some of you hear about it and you get excited because for you speaking in tongues is a wonderful gift that that you've enjoyed and been comforted and encouraged by over the years. Others of you might hear about speaking in tongues and it might just make you feel a little bit nervous because it's in the category of kind of unknown to you and even maybe a little unsettling to you. You don't know what to do about it. Others of you might hear speaking in tongues and you might, you might, you might just kind of shut that down because you, you really kind of are against the speaking in tongues. You, you don't believe it's a gift that's for today. Perhaps you're in that category of people who would call themselves cessationalists, where you believe that gifts like tongues ceased with the apostles. So there's a a full mix of opinions about tongues. Um, But I tell you what, if you you are gonna spend some time thinking about the spiritual gift of tongues, um, really the best place to go and spend time digging into is the book of 1 Corinthians in chapters 12, 13, 14. Just camp out there for a bit um, because Paul actually writes to the church And and that's one of the issues that he's bringing up. or One of the things he's dealing with is their use of tongues there in the church. Now, I just want to mention two or three things that get raised in 1 Corinthians that are key principles or guidelines about tongues for us. Here's the first one. Um, You you find out that there's different kinds of tongues. That's one of the things that comes up in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. Paul talks about the tongues of men which is likely referring to human languages that get spoken here on earth in all the different countries. And then he also speaks about tongues of angels, which is likely some kind of heavenly language that's unknown to um, earthly beings until they receive a gift to be able to speak in that heavenly language. So different kinds of tongues. And, And I'll say this, my assessment of what most people are speaking about when they talk about speaking in tongues these days is they're talking about that heavenly language, Um, the language that's not an earthly language spoken in any of the countries that we know of, and that a person claims to be given a gift to be able to speak in that language, okay? So there's the first thing, different kinds of tongues. Most people these days I think are talking about that um, tongue of angels, um, a heavenly language. that's that's a gift to be able to speak it. There's the first principle, different kinds of tongues. Second thing to notice is this, um, in regards to speaking in tongues, uh, 1 Corinthians is pretty clear. I mean, Paul's not down on tongues. He actually says, I wish you you would all speak in tongues. Paul claims to speak in tongues. um, But it's clear that that speaking in a heavenly tongue, um, while it may be a very comforting and encouraging thing for the speaker and I think that probably is is mostly in the scenario of a private prayer to God, um, that a tongue can be very encouraging for the speaker. It's actually only helpful for the church, you know, gathered Christians, when the tongue is interpreted into a language that everyone can understand uh, and therefore be encouraged or rebuked by. That's another really key principle. So when Christians are together, what we're shooting for is understandable, intelligible words that we can all go yes or no to and actually be encouraged or rebuked by. That's a key principle that comes out in 1 Corinthians there. And so as a church, we're a new church, we're getting started. Often the question is, what do you guys think about these types of things? Well, we're just going to keep understanding the Bible the best we can. So as Anchor Church, um, you might notice that each week we do actually put out a uh, an invitation to actually bring a word of encouragement or would you like to share something with your brothers and sisters? And so from time to time, we'll put out that you know opportunity for you to share a word with your brothers and sisters for their building up. Um, if it is the case that someone has a word and, and, and they wanna bring it in, in the form of speaking in tongues, what we likely will do is, is someone leading or probably myself will just say, can you just pause there for a minute And if it is a gift of the Spirit, the speaker ought to be able to press pause and use self-control. And then what we'll do is we'll make sure we've got someone here who is able to interpret that tongue, that they're confident that they can. And if we do have someone who we trust, who's confident that they can interpret this particular tongue, then it's possible that the speaking of tongues in a public gathering can be something that can build up the church. And if that's the case, then we'll consider it. If it's not the case that it can be interpreted, then I think the scripture kind of gives us direction as to that. That's probably most useful in a private prayer kind of time. Does that make sense? Feel free to fire away questions if you want. Um, Here's the the third principle that I'll give you. So the first one was different kinds of tongues. Second one was um, only if it can be interpreted, is it helpful in a gathering? Um, And here's the third principle. Um, Not everyone gets the gift of tongues. I mean, that's one of the clear things in 1 Corinthians. There's lots of different types of gifts. Not everyone gets every gift. Um, Everyone will be gifted in some way and you're meant to use your gifts to edify and build up the church. But it's clear that not everyone will be given the gift of tongues. Um, And that is where sometimes this becomes a point of contention. Because some will say that the ultimate proof that you have got the Holy Spirit is that you can speak in tongues. And so pressure can be put on someone who claims to be a Christian that they must speak in tongues to actually show that they really do have the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and this kind of, uh, this kind of thinking, um, you know, it was really alive and well in a movement in the 80s or 70s and 80s, um, but it's still around today. And, and it basically says if you can't speak in a tongue, um, then you probably don't have the Holy Spirit or you probably haven't received this second baptism. Of the Holy Spirit um, because look at Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came they could all speak in tongues and so that's why we say that here's the problem with that argument that's actually not what's happening in Acts chapter 2 it's not the case in Acts chapter 2 that they are speaking in a heavenly language in, 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 in the tongue of an angel As evidence that they've got the Holy Spirit that's not what's happening at all come and have a look at it with me if you've never looked at it before look at verse 6 particularly when they heard this sound a crowd that's the sound that was happening in the house a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken catch that utterly amazed they asked aren't all these who are speaking, that's the that 120 believers of God, aren't they all Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? So can you see what's happening. Jerusalem is full of, and Lulu did a fantastic job with the Bible reading, basically, going through the, she's laughing at herself, going through the different nations. I think there's 15 nations or 15 language groups mentioned there, um, but there would have been even more than that. So in Jerusalem, you've got, People from all different ethnic backgrounds, lots of different languages, all coming together in Jerusalem. And and now the believers of God, believers of Jesus, are all given a gift to be able to speak in languages that they previously had never been able to speak in before in order to, you can see why, can't you? To communicate with these other language groups. And as they do that, these other language groups say, hang on, what's going on here? These guys are Galileans, aren't they? They just speak, I think it's Aramaic is the basic language, or they spoke a bit of Greek as well, or at least wrote in Greek. Um, And so they're thinking, how are these guys given an ability to speak in our language? Now, some people came to the conclusion that they were drunk. Um, um, Peter mentions later, no, 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 they weren't drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. In other words, who gets drunk at nine o'clock in the morning? This is obviously not during lockdown, quarantine kind of time. Okay, um, But the, the point is um, people from all these nations are actually hearing their own languages being spoken and they're amazed, they're bewildered by it, it says, because they, they just don't understand how it's happening. And so can you picture what's happening? These 120 believers all of a sudden are able to speak in other languages. They get up and they wander around outside. And as they wander around speaking this other language, they draw a crowd of people who can understand the language they're speaking and they start to preach about Jesus. Look at verse 11. I'm trying to find verse 11. There it is. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, um, look what they say. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So, so the believer's not just wandering around speaking another language Um, that's of of no use to anyone. They're actually declaring the wonders of God. They're actually preaching about Jesus, the Messiah, who's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. They're actually testifying as witnesses to Jesus. What an amazing moment. Um, you, You might actually call this kind of tongue a missionary tongue, where someone is given an ability to speak a human language that they'd never learnt before. And you might even have heard stories about how some missionaries have found themselves in other countries and actually been given this tongue, this ability to speak a language, um, of in in the country that they'd got to, so they can preach the gospel. Um, I wouldn't, if, if you're a missionary training to go into the mission field in another country, I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume upon that gift. Um, you know, you'd actually want to go and learn the language before you go there, but there are reported cases of missionaries being able to give that ability. What an, what an incredible gift. And, and there are even reports today that this can happen occasionally where um, someone's given a gift to be able to speak in a language to share the gospel with someone, maybe who's just turned up to church, um, which would kind of be the equivalent of this. Imagine, you know, when we're all back together, meeting at Boambie East Community Hall, if, if we're still allowed to meet there in a few weeks' time, hope we are, in a few months' time or whenever we can. But imagine all being there together and some people come and join us in church and they're clearly from another country. Maybe they're refugees who have just landed in the country and they don't have any English, but somehow they end up in church with us and they can't understand anything that's going on. And then all of a sudden, someone like, like Bryce gets the ability to speak in their language and can actually go over and sit down with them and, and pull their chairs up and he can explain the gospel of Jesus to them in their language so that they understand it and put their belief in Jesus um, and actually you know, come to receive the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it would be quite amazing, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. And, and this is actually what's happening here in Jerusalem. But I, I kind of want to say this, just on this point before, You know what's just as amazing is when the Holy Spirit gives you or I the courage as a believer to actually speak the wonders of God, the gospel of Jesus in our own tongue to people in our own country who most of us are kind of scared of to speak about Jesus. Friends, that is just as amazing when you're given courage to speak the gospel. And we'll kind of get to that in a minute. But this is the big thing the Holy Spirit is doing here among the believers. He's helping them to be witnesses to Jesus. He's helping to have the courage to speak the gospel. And it's just as amazing, even if you're speaking in your own language to people in your own country. And and I do want you to notice this. That's the big picture of what's happening here. Just as Jesus promised, um, you're going to get a gift. And when the gift comes, the Holy Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses. Here they are as believers being empowered to be witnesses and to preach for Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak in tongues so they can share Jesus. And and on this point, I'd kind of pause and say, I think this is one of the key evidences that you have the Holy Spirit. Um, and that is a question that gets asked from time to time, you know, is it Um, Does this person have the Holy Spirit? Is this person a spirit-filled Christian? And there can be a whole bunch of things that are kind of behind that question. But here's one of the key pieces of evidence that you are a person who has the Holy Spirit. There's heaps of evidence that the Holy Spirit is going to give you belief and enable you to grow. But one of the key things is that the Holy Spirit is going to give you courage and going to empower you to be a witness for Jesus, to be able to speak and testify to Him. Friends, that is what the Holy Spirit did at the beginning of this time. That's what the Holy Spirit's continuing to do throughout the centuries. And you can expect that that is one of the key things the Holy Spirit is going to be doing in your life, empowering you to be a witness for Jesus. Now, there you go. I'm going to I'm going to kind of pause at that point, And that may be the end if there are no questions that have come in. Um, but I'll just kind of pause for a minute and even give you a moment if you are in the middle of typing a question and I'm going to look up around the room here and ask are there any questions that have come in okay that's okay that's fine i'm just going to wait one second in case there is something that someone's typing right now at the moment siri almost had a question that's okay no worries um i'll say one more thing and then i'll wrap up one more thing i want to say is this it has been said, as people look at the book of Acts, they ask the question: um, It appears as though everyone in the book of Acts, when they become a believer, they receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So therefore, shouldn't that be the case for all of us when you become a believer and get the Holy Spirit that you speak in tongues? Um, that's actually not the case in the book of Acts. There are there are a couple. There's a variety of conversion experiences. Um, and there's a number of those conversion experiences where the people receive the Holy Spirit, but there's no mention of speaking in tongues. You can look at the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip explains the scriptures to as he's jogging alongside his cart. You can look at the Apostle Paul himself. When he gets converted from Saul to Paul, he gets blinded on the road, but there's no mention of speaking in tongues. You can actually look at chapter 3, and we're going to actually do that um oh, it's not chapter three, it's chapter two, where 3,000 people get converted and there's no mention of speaking in tongues. So there's a real variety of conversion experiences. So it, it, there's, there's no evidence to say that this is normative that or prescriptive that everyone who becomes a Christian has to speak in tongues. And actually that, that leads me to one other thing if I've got time to say it. No one's going to stop me anyway. Um, the, the crazy things happen in the book of Acts and you can't help but to find yourself asking, does this mean crazy things just like this, we ought to expect them to be happening for us regularly because we're Christians and we're living in the same age? Um, I would say, no, this is a really unique moment. This is the ushering in of a new age. And whenever you see the beginning of something quite new in the Bible, there's usually clustered signs and miracles and an increase in you know, activity that's, that we'd consider to be miraculous. Um, the book of Acts is describing a really unique period in time. If you want to know what should be prescriptive for Christians, what we should expect to happen today, you'd be better off spending more time in the epistles. So all the letters that Peter and Paul write are prescriptive or normative for the Christians today. So whenever you see something crazy come up in the book of Acts, one key thing you can do if you ask the question, should this be happening for us? Well, go and have a look at the letters where the apostles are writing to the churches about what ought to be happening. And if you can see evidence of it, that it ought to be happening for us regularly as Christians, then there you go. There's evidence that it it should be. Otherwise, it may very well be some unique thing that could happen for us, but you don't necessarily need to expect it to be happening for us all the time. There you go. Hope that wasn't confusing. Um, Let me just finish with the big picture here again um, and wrap up. The big picture is this. If you're a believer in Jesus and you've come to put your trust in him, um, you have the Holy Spirit fully and forever. You can expect him to be helping you repent of your sin. You can be expecting him to enable you to actually grow and be transformed in the likeness of Christ. You'd be expecting him to do a whole range of things in your life. And one very key thing you can be expecting him, the Holy Spirit to be doing is this empowering you to be a witness to Jesus, giving you courage and the ability to be able to live for Jesus and speak about Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing in us. We can expect that to be happening for us as individuals, and we're expecting that to happen for us as a church. Um, And so with that in mind, how about I finish by praying and asking God to do that work of the Holy Spirit among us now and on over the months and years to come. All right, let's pray together. Father God, you always do what you say you're going to do. You, you promised that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on all believers. And we look today at that moment um, back at Pentecost when you did that very thing. Thank you, Lord, that we live at a time where God, you by your spirit come and reside in us. What an incredible gift. What an incredible comfort. Lord, please work in us, have your way with us, change us. Um, And Lord, the big thing that's on view today, please give us courage, empower us to live as witnesses for you and open our mouths and speak about you and share your incredible goodness with those around us. Please, Lord, do that in us for our sake. But ultimately, please, Lord, do that in us by your Holy Spirit for the sake of your name and your glory and your purposes. Father, thank you. We love you. You're wonderful. Amen. Amen.